Welcome to the, to the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom, joined by the voice of the Boilermakers, Rob Blackman, episode 77 here on the podcast. And today we welcome in former Boilermaker, NBA uh, at a lot of levels, did a little bit of everything in the NBA. Jerry Seasting joins us here on the podcast. Jerry, thanks for taking time to join us. It's my pleasure, Elliot. Good to be here. So uh, I'm really excited to get into some things here. Um, I promise I'll try to do my best not to talk too much Celtics with you because uh, <laughs> one of my favorite teams of all time, which you were a big part of. Uh, but before we get to all that stuff, um, tell us a little bit about uh, where you grew up and what life was like in your childhood. Um, well, I grew up in Martinsville, Indiana. Um, I've got pretty big family on both sides my mother and father both came from big families so i've got so many cousins i can barely remember all their names to tell you the truth. so uh but it was fun um you know we had big family reunions and just get togethers on uh, on the weekends at somebody's house um you know and so always you know playing outside with my cousins playing sports and um you know just doing all the stuff that a small town kid would do um martinsville in those days was uh kind of like a norman rockwell painting uh, we had a little square and you know all, all the mom and pop businesses all around so it was a it was a great place to grow up um and and the the big thing the the really the first uh, fork in the road that that kind of led me to basketball was uh, my father they my mom and dad were renting a house till i was about three years old off my grand grandfather actually an apartment and so when he got ready to buy a house it was either this place pretty far out in the country or um this house that he ended up buying was uh, on a dead-end street right then the dead end ran right into the city park so oh wow the city basketball courts was uh, literally about 20 feet from our property line so, oh beautiful uh, you know, if I if he would have picked the other house, uh, we probably wouldn't be talking right now. <laughs> wow, that is incredible. So it, I'm assuming, uh, like most parks, especially in those days in the state of Indiana, that was a pretty busy scene with uh, with a lot of kids down there playing ball. Oh yeah, constantly. Um, you know, especially you know when the weather was good and on the weekends. Uh, I mean, it was both both courts basically you know going full yeah full court all day long. So that's awesome. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was, uh, you know, I was able to grow up playing against older guys my, my whole life. You know, I mean, it was hard to get in games when I was younger. And finally, you know, I got to where, uh, you know, I could get in most of the games by the time I was, uh, you know, eighth grade or freshman and, uh, you know, just playing against men, um, you know, really, I think that helped me improve at a, at a very fast level. Wow. So when you, how early on did you realize like, Hey, this might be something that's got a little bit of a future here for me. Well, um, I don't, I'm, I still remember when uh, I was watching a game on TV and my dad told me, hey, those, those guys get paid to play. I go, what? And they get really? paid to play basketball? You know, because back in those days, you know, there was hardly, you know, there's one game a week uh, if you're lucky on the Sundays. Uh, yeah pro basketball so you know i followed purdue and indiana were on, were on tv all the time the van arsdales uh, you know at iu and then when purdue got uh keller and mount uh you know I, I really you know watched almost every every game that they played so oh, wow. um, you know just uh when i was in junior high i i guess you know i, I started having success when we started playing uh uh, you know, I, I just wanted to play varsity basketball at Martinsville High School. And then uh, when I was in junior high, um, uh, 
you know, you start playing other towns and stuff like that. Um, you know, when, when my class and myself started having some success at a pretty good level there, then, uh, that just kind of carried on all the way through high school. Jerry, was it, I'd be interested. Was it always basketball all the way for you? Because, uh, I, I know you, the research I've done, you played, you played football and baseball in high school. If I read correctly, you were the quarterback of an undefeated football team your senior year. So you were, you were obviously involved in other sports. Was it always basketball all the way though? No, no. Um, the park had more than just the basketball court. So <laughs> yeah. it, had, it had the baseball diamond at the little league. Uh, there, there were two different fields in town and every night in the summer there were games. So whatever season it was is what we did. I mean, I played basketball year round, but, uh, you know, and there was a swimming pool also. So I was on the swim team till I was like 12 or 13 years old. And no I, I still remember my mother waking me up at like seven in the morning and have to go over and jump in that cold water. I, oh. was, <laughs> I, uh, that was, that was just plain torture, but I, I did it. You know, I had to, I even had a little bit of success there, but no, we played, I, I was actually very lucky that um there were a lot of kids about my age around uh, around the park that lived in the neighborhood so uh, we, we played whatever season it was we played tackle football after school in the fall we played um um you know baseball all summer so no whatever whatever season it was we were playing and and i really i really think that you know if, if there's any kids listening to this that the more sports you play as a youngster, the more skills you develop, you know, there's different, different things in different sports and you don't get the overuse uh, injuries that you see happen so often today when everybody's just playing one sport, it just wears certain parts of your body out. I think. Yeah, I agree. We talked about that, that very thing on this podcast before, and it's, um, you know, anytime that a kid can play multiple sports, like if we're recruiting a kid, Sometimes they'll ask us during the recruiting process, like, well, you know, I do play baseball. Is that going to be a problem? And, you know, Coach Painter, to his credit, is like, you know, hell no, keep playing. Like, we, we encourage that stuff. You know, it's good to, it's good for a lot of reasons. The, you know, it, it prevents overuse, but also, too, in any other sport, you're developing something. It might be hand eye coordination, it might be other muscle groups, but uh, there's a lot to be said for playing as many sports as possible. Right, right. I mean, you see guys that don't play other sports in a ball in basketball balls thrown kind of down towards their feet. They don't know how to get down and, and get the ball. Right, they, right. Balls going out of balls going out of bounds, like in baseball, like you're turning double play. They don't know how to, you know, go get the ball, but at the same time be turning and finding, you know, their teammates and stuff. Those those skills come from uh, baseball and uh, and other sports, tennis. I mean, all those type of sports uh, help you develop different skills. Yeah, that's a that is a great point. So when you, as obviously you had the dreams of playing at, at Martinsville, did, um, at what point do you remember, was there a moment when colleges started calling and what was that like for, for getting recruited? Yeah, mostly, mostly started happening uh, my junior year. I played uh, varsity part of my freshman year. Our team wasn't very good my freshman year and, and Sam Alford, uh, who is Steve Alford's father, uh, came in to Martinsville my freshman year and he basically you know he saw that uh, we didn't have a great senior class that year so we only kept a couple seniors and he just started bringing uh, sophomore we had we had two pretty good juniors but he started bringing uh, sophomores and freshmen up and started playing them and 
I tell you, it was uh, it was like getting thrown to the wolves. Because <laughs> yeah, we had uh, we had one of the toughest schedules in the state that year. There used to be a little book one of the banks put out. It was like a, almost a pocket book you could put in your back pocket, but it gave it had all kinds of stats and stuff about Indiana basketball. And they they had our schedule rated that year as the fifth hardest in the state. Wow. So. Uh, you know, we we played a lot of really good teams, and uh, we like I said, we only won like five games. But you know, we were playing out of our conference. South Central Conference was really good in those days, but we were playing Terre Haute North, Richmond, uh, you know, Warren Central, all, all kind of other schools. We we barely had a breather in any of the games that we played. So it was uh, it was like getting slapped in the face playing those teams. Do you remember the best player you guys came across in high school? And do you ever remember thinking like, wow, that dude there? Um, well, we played against a lot of, well, um, guys that went division one, um, you know, Phil Cox, my freshman year, Phil Cox was Mr. Basketball at Connorsville and they were in our conference and okay. we almost beat them at home. Actually, it was, uh, that would have been the upset of the, of the whole season, but we, they beat us by four or six, I think. But uh, Gerald Thomas was on that team that went to Purdue and yeah. then also, um, uh, Wayne Walls and, um, you know, they, they had a couple of division one players wow, on there. Yeah. Jeffersonville, they were really good. The McLaughlin twins, John McLaughlin's nephews played at Franklin. They went to the final four, uh, my junior junior year there there was somebody in our conference that went to the final four every year that i was in school unfortunately it was not so wow. we got we got beat by franklin and then we got beat by columbus north uh, we were both in the top 10 and and the the regional was at columbus my senior year and they we beat them three straight times but every game was a a nail biter so we knew it was going to be a tough game and they ended up beating us and they went to the final four my senior year so how many years was sam at alford at martinsville just my four years, and then he then he went to Newcastle. Then he went to Newcastle, and the rest is history. Wow. Okay. I played when I played it in. Uh, we played against Newcastle, and he was coaching still before he left to join uh, Steve and his coaching ventures. But I, that's that's pretty cool. So he was your four, four, all four years with you, and then uh, recruiting wise, what what kind of led you to ultimately coming to Purdue? Well, it was uh, I, I was really kind of up in the air. To be honest, uh, Sam Offord really wanted me to go to IU. He wanted me to go to IU. <laughs> and there were, you know, I, I kind of found out later on in quite a few years, there, there were quite a few teams that he told them that I wasn't interested in going, and I never even knew they were recruiting me. I found oh, out a little oh, bit later. But they um, – they, Indiana did recruit me. Uh, Purdue recruited me. Uh, the schools I've ended up visiting were um, Cincinnati, Louisville, Alabama, and Purdue. And since I'd grown up really kind of watching the Big Ten most of my life, um, that was one of the deciding factors. And when I when I visited, I don't know, I just felt comfortable up there. I met almost everybody on the team. A couple of the other schools I went to, you know, sometimes it was because of a weekend or a holiday or something. I didn't get to meet many of the players. So, yeah. Um, you know, I was I was a little hesitant. Uh, Louisville was one of those schools. They really, really wanted me to come to Louisville. But um, and they had a good team and a good program. Denny Crum, obviously a, a very good coach. But with the when I went down there, I didn't. I, I think I only met one guy. So oh, wow. I was uh, I was a little hesitant to to go where I didn't really you know feel comfortable and not been around the team very much. Well, who was the coach at Alabama when they were recruiting you? 
it was cm newton yeah um, yeah um, wimp sanderson was the guy that recruited yeah. me he ended up uh cm left a couple years i don't know if he would have coached me my whole four years i'm trying to remember when he went to kentucky as the ad but Wimp, we i was part of about five indiana guys and they matched us up with the four guys from alabama one of them was reggie king that that played at alabama and played about five years in the nba and we played in this tournament in Sharon, Pennsylvania that they, uh, the, the Hoyle tournament, I think it was called. And they had it every year back in those days. So there were like 24 teams and they put us with these Alabama guys, Sammy Drummer and uh, Steve Walker, who ended up coming to Purdue were two yeah. of the other Indiana guys. And we won the tournament. Wow. And so, we're, and that was about the time when, um, you know, I went and found out that I was wide open, that I might go anywhere. And so he talked me into coming down there over, uh, it, I think it was called Bama Weekend. They had the SEC track and field tournament. They had a big concert. They had the uh, red and white game, inter-squad game of the football. He goes, just come down. He goes, I think you'll like it. He goes, no, you know, no, you don't have to make a commitment or anything like that. I would just want you to meet the coach. So that's why I kind of went down there. And, and it was an impressive place. It was yeah. um it's pretty cool. Is he is he a big as uh, as big a character as he seems? Yeah, I, I ended up meeting him and, and hanging around him years later. You know, he coached uh, Latrell Sprewell in college. Yeah, and then yeah. Latrell was uh, with us for a couple years in Minnesota. So okay. uh, I forget where we were on a road trip. But I ended up having lunch with him again uh, quite a few years later. Wow, that's cool. He's that's... a funny, funny guy, a real funny guy, and, and he was a pretty good coach too. Yeah. Now, who was the lead recruiter from Purdue? Uh, mostly George Faber. Um, he's the one that kind of, I remember he came and picked Steve and I up, Steve uh, Walker, after um, a, there was a publicity deal with a bunch of pictures and stuff at the Indiana All-Stars, probably in April. And uh, so we made our official visit together. He came down and picked us up and took us up to Purdue and brought us back. Gotcha. So he was uh, mostly the main guy. Okay. And so... You uh, you pull the trigger, make a decision, make your decision to come here. Um, and what what was your what was your freshman year like here in West Lafayette? Well, it was uh, it was crowded in the backcourt. I love school. <laughs> though. I mean, I love the campus. Um, you know, and I you know I, f I fit in pretty good, like I thought I would. You know, a lot of, a lot of kids from Indiana, obviously in the Midwest. So, uh, you know, I felt comfortable right off the bat. Um, I had a great time the whole time I was at Purdue. You know, but when I went, uh, Kyle Macy was uh, my year, and we both went to Purdue the same year. And they also had Bruce Parkinson, who I happened to see yesterday. <laughs> I was at a charity golf tournament. I bumped into him yesterday. And then Eugene, Eugene Parker, was um, he, he was a sophomore. So he was just a year ahead of uh, Kyle and I. Okay. So we had we had a very crowded backcourt. Uh, you know, I did get a play every game. But, uh, you know, it um, what happened – is Bruce broke his wrist at the maybe the third game of the year and applied for a red shirt, which was granted to him. So it ended up being Macy, myself, and Parker. So I did play quite a bit more than I would have if, if Parkinson would have been there his senior year. But he came back the next year as a senior. Gotcha, gotcha. And so uh, you know, over your um, over your time here, obviously, um, good teams, a lot of talent. You guys had success uh, as your years progressed here. What was just talk us through that that journey here? 
Well, my sophomore year, um, AC left, you know, Parkinson yep. was coming back, um, you know, and we all, you know, there was no way to keep all four of us happy. Um, so uh, Kyle went to Kentucky, uh, and so I came back. Uh, we did play a lot of three guards uh, that year, so, you know, I did get a lot more playing time than I did my freshman year. Um, you know, it, it was different back then, especially most Big Ten schools. It was it was hard to play unless you were, uh, you know, had a lot of size and, um, you know, you usually were going to a team in the Big Ten or most of the big time programs. Uh, in those years, there weren't there weren't guys leaving early like yeah. they did just a couple years after I got there. That's yeah. when I, that started happening with Magic and then Isaiah. Shortly after I, the, a lot of guys started leaving early, but that that wasn't going on. So you know, I think most freshmen would, weren't playing very much. Uh, my sophomore year, I played quite a bit more. Um, then my junior year, we actually went to the NCAA. Uh, we finished third in the Big Ten. The Big Ten, while I was there, um, Elliot was, I think it was probably the golden age of Big Ten basketball. Um, the n- amount of players that ended up playing pro basketball and the number of years that these guys were playing. The number one pick almost every year was coming out of the Big Ten. Wow. I won my freshman year. Um, my junior year, Marquette beat north carolina but uh um there were there were several big 10 schools that were, that were really good uh, we you, only two teams were going so yeah. i'm trying to remember my my uh my sophomore year we got to go because minnesota was on probation they had you know they had those great teams with michael thompson McHale, and those guys well they they were in violation of quite a few things and <laughs> they weren't allowed they weren't allowed to go to the to the Big Ten tournament. I'm trying to remember uh, who the other who the other team was. My uh, junior, I don't. It wasn't Indiana. It might have been Ohio State. Well, well one year, Jerry. Or, no, right. I think it was. I think it was Michigan. I think it was Michigan because Michigan went to the final game with Indiana my sophomore year. So my, I mean, my freshman, my freshman year, it was Indiana versus uh, Michigan in the final game, and um, they had Ricky Green and Phil Hubbard. Uh, you know, they had. They had pros up in Michigan too, so we went. We got beat by North Carolina, which went to the Final Four in the very first game. We had a four-point lead in the ball with about two minutes to go, and I wasn't on the court. We turned the ball over two or three times in the last minute and got beat in regulation, which and with no shot clock, that that never should have happened. So then we come back my junior year, and we've got. Uh, Eugene Parker, Walter Jordan, Wayne Walls, three guys that have played, um, started for three years now. I was coming back as a junior um, and and going to be starting at guard with uh, with Eugene. And then Joe Barry was going to be a sophomore. So And he, he had had some success as a freshman. He didn't start, but he played quite a bit. And so in those years, Playboy magazine actually – had a big uh, preseason edition of, uh, of of college basketball, and they had us ranked number one in the country. Oh, wow. Junior year. And that was 77-78? So, 77-78. Yeah. So they picked, you know, they kind of went outside the box a little bit because, you know, we weren't ranked that high in the other in the other ones. But they, they thought with our talent and stuff kind of coming together that – that we were going to, but we had, we had a bad year. Our team just never gelled. Um, you know, it's, it just didn't, it just didn't work out. It was a very, very poor year. Nobody, nobody was happy. And that ended up being, uh, Fred, uh, Fred Schaus's last year was, uh, my junior year. 
How was playing for Coach Shouse? Because I feel like um, I feel like he gets overlooked sometimes, or and, and people just don't talk about him a lot. Um, but how was playing for him? Yeah, well, he had some success at Purdue. There's no question about it. He they won the NIT, and in and in those years, the NIT was pretty good. Because, right, like yeah. I said before, the uh, NCAA was only taking two teams from every conference. It's not like now where. Right. Um, you know, so they won the NIT. I think Frank Kendrick was on that team, yep. um, and they, uh, John Garrett. They they had good teams back then. Yeah. Uh, and then you know, like I said, we went to the NCAA my sophomore year, and we were we were projected to be, but I don't know. And I I mean I I take as much blame as anybody else on the team. We just we just never gelled and played as a team. Um, you know, I, I never really felt like we, we committed at, at the defensive end of the court. I, I don't think we were in tip-top shape. I mean, I found out the next year we definitely weren't in tip-top shape after uh, Lee Rose came. But um, it just it just didn't work. It just didn't work out. I, I don't know. that I Again, I'll take some, some blame. We didn't have good leadership in our locker room. Um, it just didn't happen. And, and Joe Barry was just still trying to figure it out. You know, he came yeah. from uh, – Denver, Colorado, where basketball wasn't that big back then, right. there. And, you know, I think he played, he had ability, he had skills, but I don't think, you know, when he first came to Purdue, I don't think he was totally in, in and he'll probably tell you the same thing. I mean, he became a, a totally different guy the next year um, and really led the success of the team the next couple of years when he was a junior and senior. Yeah, your senior year, you guys had a great year, won 27 games and 13 and five in the league um, and a lot of success there. Any, any specific games that, that stand out to you individually or just as a team, great wins, or it just maybe something yeah, that well, yeah, off the well, wall. We had, we had one week where I think Illinois was ranked number one, the, the early in the big 10 season. And this happened to Illinois uh, almost every year I was in the team. They, they didn't play much of a non-conference schedule, so they were almost always undefeated coming in. I think they were ranked number one or number two. We beat them at home. Then Michigan State came in with Magic, and uh, we beat them on a last-second shot. So in the same week, we beat number one and number two. And um, we we lost to Michigan State by three, maybe four. I think it was three at their place. We could we could by that time we could play with anybody. By the time the conference started, and um, you know the what what killed us that year of course michigan state i think they lost both games the last weekend to drop down i don't know what was going on with their team but they must have had some issues too but we played a game against iowa at home it was the only home game we lost in the big 10 we had couple guys uh we had the flu and then uh i don't think drake morris played that game he came he came to practice late on the weekend i think he went home and uh so coach didn't let him play that game so we played without a starter and a couple other guys sick and we lost to iowa mm -hmm. and so that if we could have won that game that would have um that would have put us as a sole big 10 you know and we would have got we would have got to go but that was the last year elliot that only two teams could go so when they oh. When they did the tie-breaking system, the way the Big Ten did it, we were one and three against Iowa and Michigan State, uh, and those two teams were two and two. So I wondered uh, how that happened because I remember always seeing that that uh, those those teams tied, and wondering right, how they how they right. differentiated so, that. 
Yeah, and so we had not only were we thirteen and five, we won. When you start counting the before the NIT final game, we won fifteen of our last eighteen games playing again in the best conference in the country. And like I said, we were we we could play with anybody. So it, it was really disappointing when we when we had to go to the NIT that year. We we were we were pretty good. So I've always heard about the the shot to beat Michigan State, and didn't uh, Hallman hit that shot? Right, yeah. The play was really for me to get the shot. Uh, Hallman got he he kind of got the ball and they they kind of trapped him. Yeah. And, and as the time was running out, I couldn't come around and get a handoff from him, and he just turned around. I mean, it seemed like when I was on the court at the time, and still to this day, that that whole thing what I remember of was like slow motion. He just, yeah. he was an incredible athlete, great defensive player. He was drafted uh, in the second round by the Celtics uh, out of, out of Purdue, but he just turned around. The one thing that he couldn't, he, well, two things, he wasn't a very good outside shooter past uh, 12, 15 feet. And he couldn't put the ball on the floor very well. Yeah. Well, he didn't put the ball on the floor, but he could sky. He jumped up and did a turnaround <laughs> jump shot. And that ball hit the net right at the buzzer. And, like I said, when I when I think about it, it just seemed like it was in slow motion, and you know it was just frozen when that ball hit the net right when the buzzer went off and the place went crazy. So we go into the locker room, and that was uh, like I said, uh, we just beat Illinois. So when we went in the locker room, Rose go he he let Michigan State you know kind of go down. There. He waited about a minute. He goes, they're still out there. Nobody's left the arena. He goes, everybody go out take a victory lap oh that's awesome <laughs> so we, cool. we ran out and took a lap around uh around the uh gym you know when uh after we beat him so that was pretty fun that is awesome so so what was it like playing for coach rose i mean obviously his time at purdue was very limited as a head coach but you know you had the opportunity jerry to play for him just one year as a senior obviously you had success you you tie for the big 10 championship you go to the nit finals but I thought he was, he, he turned, you know, my career around. I really, I almost thought after my uh, junior year, I mean, I, I gave a little thought that, you know, I got to have a new coach my senior year. I go, wow. I didn't know anything about Lee Rose. I knew he took, uh, he took NCC to the um, final game or the final four of the year before and um so i i knew who he was i knew that he'd had success at at unc charlotte but i mean i even thought about you know maybe transferring sitting out a year and playing one year i I just didn't i i didn't kind of disillusioned didn't know what to do so he came in we had a meeting after he got hired um you know i could tell he was going to be a disciplinarian quite a bit different than than what fred shouse was and uh to me, he he was just so organized, and he was he had he had a system that he went by, and and our conditioning program in the preseason was like um, it's the hardest thing I, I'd ever gone through at that point. You know, we we ran, 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 did all this stuff. Uh, we were in incredible shape, and and he always said he goes, "There's so many games going to go down to the last minute or two. The team that's in the best shape is going to win most of those games." So, um, he he was a, a taskmaster, very organized. Every drill we did, he put time on the clock, and you know he he. he 
he always explained to me why he did. He goes, I'm doing this. He goes, if we're doing it right by the end of the five minutes, by the end of the 10 minutes, he goes, I don't really care. He goes, I've got to get on that. We've got to put in all this stuff. And he mm. goes, I'm, I'm just going to do it. And I'll put it in the next practice or the practice after that till we get it right. But I'm not going to spend all practice when guys aren't getting something. And uh, he, everything he did, it just kind of layered on top of the, the thing that we did before. We had, we had defenses for every time the ball went out of uh, bounds at a different place on the court. This is full wow. court. Wow. Not, yeah. Whether on the full court baseline side, we would have a one, three, one. We trap at the top. If it was on the side down in our uh, basket that we were defending, we were in a one, three, one, we trap on the baseline and he had different guys on different teams. So the guys on the bench on the different defenses. So the guys on the bench, when the ball went out of bounds, if you were supposed to be on that defense where that ball went out, you had to be sprinting down to the uh, um, scores table. And back then, they, they would let you in. Now, usually, you got to be there when the dead yeah. ball. But we had – it looked like the first game or two, our fans, it looked like guys were just putting themselves in, which they are basically doing, but yeah. it was all organized. Wow. And there were just groans in the crowd a couple of times. There were two <laughs> guys come running down and putting themselves in. And he's just sitting there not doing anything. <laughs> wow. They look like a free-for-all. But everything everything um, was stuff that we practiced. So. I've never heard that before about him. That's very, very interesting. Would, do you think of the guys you've played for at all levels, do you think you took more from him? in terms of just your basketball knowledge and then eventually when you got into coaching like did you take more from him or was there other guys that influenced you more no he he was he was definitely one of the best guys i played for but what i did take from him he he was um he was a motivator in his own way, but he um, he wasn't a rah rah guy. He he told me he goes he goes I'm not get, I'm not sitting there giving a new Rodney speech before the game. He goes that words off. He goes that words off the, after the first four or five minutes. He goes yeah. we're we're gonna be ready business like. He goes it's reason over emotion. I'm not gonna you know I'm not gonna get overly mad and scream and yell at guys when things are going wrong and i'm not going to be jumping up and down and waving my arms when things are going right yeah because that's that's not how you win over 40 minutes so wow. you know I, t- I took a lot of that uh from coach rose wow so your senior year you have a great year win a lot of games coach rose experience um talk how did the draft work then um how did the, that transition from purdue to the nba go down well i to be honest with you, I never even thought about pro basketball, even even through my senior year. I didn't I didn't think uh, you know I was I was good enough. I wasn't really uh, you know I didn't have any agents really. There were there were one or two guys that gave me a call after the season and stuff, but um, you know there were there were eleven and twelve guys on the team back then. Uh, they don't they didn't have the seventeen and nineteen. <laughs> rosters that they have now with two guys going to a d league off and on so it was a very different very different uh league than it is now so there was what 10 or 12 rounds to be drafted so i knew i'd get drafted uh but i didn't didn't think it would be first or second round which it wasn't i I wasn't drafted until the fourth round so uh i was drafted by golden state and uh you know now it's a big it's a big deal you know at night where they one, the both rounds are at night. So I didn't know till they started the draft during the day since it took so long. So I was actually taking summer school classes and working at, at uh, Purdue's basketball camp in the mornings. 
and no, I was taking classes in the mornings and then working at the camp in the afternoon. So it was sometime in the afternoon when I was at camp that somebody came up for me and he said, Hey, you, you got drafted. I go, really? (laughs) Do you remember who told you? I didn't, I didn't even know. Who told you that? Do you remember? I have no idea. It was just somebody who worked at the camp. I think from uh, <laughs> from Rose's office, they just came out and found me wherever I was running a drill. I think, so, I think people who – I think some of our people listening would just – especially younger people would be blown away at that thought because, like you said, now not only are the roster sizes in the NBA that much bigger, but there's a lot more teams, and then there's only two rounds. And then, like you talked about back in the day, 10 rounds, and yet fewer spots, fewer teams. It's just amazing how that whole dynamic has changed. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I wasn't sitting in the green room. <laughs> so, yeah, so, Jerry, so what was your reaction? Were you like, oh, that's cool, and just went back to yeah, working I mean, camp? Was, uh, or you know, yeah, I mean, I, I, I said, well, I guess I got to figure out when then. So I guess they'll get a hold of me and let me know, uh, you know what. <laughs> And I'm supposed to come and try out or whatever. That's about all I was, uh, what I was thinking. So, um, but you, you, I, I had you... gone. I had gone to um, the agent my first year is a guy named Ron Grinker out of Cincinnati, and he had come. He had come to Purdue. Lee Rose knew him. I think he represented Cornbread Maxwell from uh, UNCC, Cedric Maxwell, and um, so Rose knew a couple agents and the guys that he knew and liked or trusted. Uh, he came and and I think. He even talked to Joe Barry that year just to kind of let him, you know, as long as you didn't yeah. take an agent, Joe Barry could talk and just kind of get to know a couple of the guys sure. uh, that were coming in. So anyway, he had a, uh, he did have a, this was in the, in the spring after the season was over, he conducted his own little deal in Cincinnati and there were, you know, there were a lot of NBA scouts and a couple of head coaches that were over there that watched that thing. But, you know, I never really had, um, you know, he, he he just told me you know, you'll probably play in the summer league which i did um you know for golden state and then golden state had me come out a lot in the summer just uh basically i was doing promotion work i was going around the bay area with uh raymond townsend who was on the team the year before and, and another couple rookies uh from the year before and we were putting on clinics and stuff around the bay area just for publicity for the warriors is what i was doing and we were playing pickup games and then uh you know, when the veterans started coming in, um, you know, just kind of got ready for training camp that way. So I, w- I was out there for uh, two or three months before camp even started. Yeah, and your journey is not certainly a, an easy one to the NBA because you were cut, right? Golden State cut yeah, you, and then yeah. you, you went a whole year of not playing pro ball, right? Right. No, I came back and worked. Uh, Al Owls was the coach. Like I said, I think I think only 11 guys. They, they had the option. They could take a, a 12 or if they were wanting to you know cut corners the nba wasn't making the money that they yeah. do now uh, a lot of teams opted to just have 11 guys on their roster so they didn't have to pay the 12th guy so i can't remember which way golden state did but i was like the last cut or second to last cut on the team and uh story i should probably tell right now is so years later i go back and i coached at golden state one year and uh, al adams was still in the organization he, he the owner at that time was a guy named franklin muley who was a he was kind of a character in his own right and so al was his boy and al he he when when he sold the team that team had to give al adams a, a job and so he he came to he came down to one of the practices when i was first uh, coaching then i go and he walks up to me and and i go oh, how you doing i said you know i gotta ask you i haven't really talked to you much since uh, i go why did you cut me i should have made that team. <laughs> he, goes, 
He goes, I didn't cut you. You cut yourself. And uh, away <laughs> laughing uh yep that's that funny that's a that's a gr that's a management or coach answer too to that yeah, question he had, right? a, he, had a, he had a ready answer for that one yeah that is wow that's amazing so so yeah rob referenced it you take the year off what did you do in that year and then obviously you were doing something to keep you in, yeah in, i worked for a company in indianapolis called the athletic department which had in those days uh four or five, maybe six uh, retail stores around Indianapolis, and they also had a team uh, sales department. So I was calling a lot on, on some of the bigger high schools and then selling athletic equipment, you know, off wow. of But they, they told me, I you know, I, I went to the CBA team in Bangor, Maine, and when I got there, I don't even want to go. I was only there a day and a half. <laughs> I can tell I was going to hate it. I was going to hate it. So I, t I told the coach after the second day, a lot of the guys hadn't arrived yet. Uh, the place that we were practicing, it was the floor was so slick you couldn't even stand up. I mean, it was kind of a joke. So I knew I would end up hating basketball if I stayed there much longer. So uh, I just I just told the guy, I go, this is not going to be for me. I'm going to I'm going to do something else uh, if I end up going overseas, maybe or just I'll just I'm not I'm not staying here. So yeah. I came back and these guys told me that I was working for, they were, they were big, uh, sports guys. Anyway, the owners of the company and, and, uh, uh, one of my other bosses, I said, you can have, if you're playing on the weekends or if you're in some kind of tournament, um, they said, you can, you will, we'll let you do whatever you want to do to stay in shape. If you, if you don't think your career's over. So oh, wow. that's why I ended up taking that job. I yeah. mean, it, it paid the bills, but, um, uh, you know, they let me, they let me do a lot of other stuff. So, um, yeah, that was what I did for a year. That was going to be my question. Like, did you still work towards that following year or if it was one of those things where, and obviously you did, so you stayed in shape and played and then the following year you get called, did somebody, did, does, well, does the team no, reach out? No, or? It wasn't, by the time it rolled around and it, I, you know, I hadn't played really any high level competitive basketball for a while. Um, you know, I wouldn't even thinking about trying out again almost at that point okay but uh, but i did play quite a bit just in you know pro-am leagues and they had uh, aau uh, not like the au now but at older older guys uh you know going around and playing games against colleges or you know all-star teams and stuff like that so i i did that but what what happened is my girlfriend at the time my wife now she heard on the radio the pacers were getting sold and mm, yeah they had a new coach, Jack McKinney, who started out as the Laker coach the year before. He had a bicycle wreck, and he had he had um, he was in a coma for like two weeks. Paul Westhead took over for him, and that was Magic's rookie year. They ended up winning the NCAA or the NCAA, the NBA championship. Yeah, if you remember against Philadelphia. Philadelphia so, yeah. So they didn't bring um, they didn't bring Jack McKinney back. And they Westhead got the job. He won the championship. They couldn't get rid of him at that point. I think Magic liked him, so you know Magic was kind of calling <laughs> yeah. the shot there. Yeah. And so Indiana, the new owner was uh, he was good. He was an LA guy. His name was Sam um, Nassi, and he was good friends with Jerry Buss. He was an LA guy, and so Sam, who bought the team, um, he hired Jack McKinney. And so for McKinney, he, I think they wanted to see him on the court since he'd had the, the 
the wreck and the brain problems and stuff. They wanted to see him on the court conducting practices. So the Pacers, and kind of for publicity also, they had a Walter Mitty camp, they called it. They advertised it on the radio, and my wife heard about it. And uh, she said, you should call him up. So I called Jerry Oliver, who was a holdover from uh, Bobby Leonard. He was still kind of organizing things until they got their front office squared away. I called him up and um, he said, yeah, you're just the kind of guy that we want to have come. You know, we want mostly local guys to give some publicity. And uh, he goes, he goes, if you play well, you'll come back to the rookie camp, maybe play in our summer league. So that's that's how I got my foot in the door was was doing that. That is nuts. I've never heard that story. So, Jerry, a 10 year NBA career. Is it safe to say it might have been zero years had your wife, girlfriend at the time, not heard that story on the radio? Probably so. Wow. Probably so. Wow. Yeah, and it even gets better. The first day, it was in Butler Fieldhouse, is where the they conducted the the Walter Mitty camp, and I wasn't I wasn't in shape to do two a days really. I mean, I I was playing a little bit, and and even Jerry Oliver he goes, "You're in shape, right?" And I go, "Well, yeah, I can I can play against these guys that are going to come in this thing." So <laughs> it was it was about like it is right now. It's it's like in the mid '90s. There was no air conditioner oh. in, in the Butler Fieldhouse, and so we were sweating through our shoes on that court. I mean, mm. it, it was hard to, by the end of the practice, hard stand. So after the second practice, McKinney gets everybody together and I'm sitting there thinking, I am not coming back tomorrow. I go, I, I might die tonight. I, you know, there's <laughs> sweat pouring out of me. And, and it was, and so we were supposed to have double sessions the next day. And he kind of goes, well, guys, he goes, it's a pretty good day. He goes, um, we're not going to come back tomorrow. I, I'm going to call out five guys, and I want you guys to come back to rookie camp. And I was one of the guys he called. I, I don't think I was even going to come back the next day. So Wow. It was uh, pretty lucky for me. And then how did you play in rookie camp, and is that then that does that lead to the rest of it? Yeah, that was the second step. I had to jump through about four different hoops to even get to uh, the training camp. Um, so, yeah, they, they brought in their, their draftees um, and – they took five guys from that. They didn't even take a whole team like all the teams do now. They t- they picked five guys because in Indianapolis they didn't. The Pacers didn't have any money right then, and so um, they they sent five of us out to L.A. and and I don't know who was making the decisions. If it was Jerry Oliver or who, but then they they just picked up five guys out there from various colleges or that were living out in LA and they, that formed our team. And then we did, they didn't have Jack McKinney coach the team. They had, um, Walt Hazard who was going by the name of Abdul Rockman at the time. And so when I got out there to the hotel, he comes to my room at the hotel and I showed him the offense that we were going to run in, in summer league. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, you know, he played almost, the other guys were getting the game some, but he just played the five guys that we went out there with. And uh, that was my summer league experience for the first time. I was basically player coach with uh, Walt Hazard. And um, so then I, I came back. They said, told me to come back to vet camp. So that's, that's how, that's how it all happened. And I was like the last guy they kept on the team and didn't play much my rookie year. And then uh, they had more money problems and, Sam Nasty, his business was liquidation, and so what he started doing with our team <laughs> was getting rid of the guys with the biggest contracts, and that's how I started to get my playing time in the NBA. Wow! So five years with the Pacers, and uh, who coaches during that time? 
It was just Jack McKinney up okay. until the fifth year. Uh, the assistant that he had the whole time was George Irvin. Okay, and yeah, I remember George. So, yeah, George was the coach my fifth year, yeah. And I played every year on a one-year uh, contract. I think my first three years I was make good. I think I had a guarantee one year for my fourth year and a one-year guarantee for my fifth year. So it was it was uh, nothing like you see going on today. So then um... – what leads you to Boston? You, you get to 1985, and then obviously you you move over to the Celtics. But how did that? Is that just an off-season acquisition that they did? They just sign you as a free agent. Was there a trade involved? Yeah, well, they signed me as a free agent, and it ended up being a trade. Um, I was a free agent, like I said, I, I was a free agent every summer because I only got one-year contracts. Hmm. So um, I actually called. Um, um, Chris Ford up, who was assistant coach, uh, because I'd played against him some my my first few years, and I didn't really know him, but you know I figured maybe he'd take my phone call, and he did. And I just told him I'd I'd watch them play and got beat by the Lakers in eighty uh, eighty five, and um, they didn't have any. You know, Dennis Johnson was an average shooter. They were playing Quinn, Quinn Buckner off the bench. He wasn't a very good shooter, and they. They, I just thought I could, uh, I thought I could play for them, mm-hmm. and I thought I, I could be better than what they had, uh, you know, as far as coming off the bench. And um, so I, I made the call to him, and I found out later when uh, the general manager called me back. He goes, "You won't believe this." He said, "We were in a meeting, and we were talking about three or four guys, and you were one of the three or four guys we were talking about when you called Chris Ford out of that meeting." Oh wow! So, um, so that led to uh, you know just going out there meeting with them. I, I'd had two or three pretty good years with the Pacers at that time, um, and and I'd always played well against the Celtics for whatever reason. I'm not sure why, but um, so I thought maybe they would have some interest. And so um, you know, it, Casey Jones was the coach. They they'd gotten rid of uh, of. Um, Fitch, KC took over, I think, 83-84. They won in 84. Yeah. They lost to the Lakers in 85. And so that was the summer that I uh, signed signed my uh, contract. And Simon, uh, Herb, Herb and Mel Simon had bought the team by that point. Gotcha. And they, you know, I'd never – and it, it wasn't anything to do with them. I, you know, I – really just uh had a chance to go to boston and so back then you had 15 days a team had 15 days to match a free agent contract and so they took uh the entire 15 days but they called they called me about three or four days after i'd signed the contract and they i went to herb's house with george Irvin being there and they said they were gonna match the contract they wanted me to finish my career with the pacers and being 20 some and you know looking back i was you know i don't know if it was just, but i i just told them right to their face i said i guys it's not it's not either one of you but i got a chance to play on a really really good team yeah so, yeah uh, I, don't, I don't really want to come back you know yeah. I just, and they matched it anyway to so they could get a couple of players they actually traded buckner and uh some draft choices to um indiana and that's how the deal went Wow. So you're walking in, I mean, obviously same league, but you're going into a different world. I mean, you're going into the Celtics, Lakers in the heyday. Um, what, what, what was it like? I mean, you get to Boston, you walk in that locker room, talk, what went through your mind? Yeah, well, it, it was, I got behind the eight ball early because by the time they matched the, the contract, um, training camp had already started two days. So oh, I'm, okay. I'm behind when I get there. 
and um, I think we played we played Philadelphia in an exhibition game like two days after I got there, and with all the stress and you know missing camp and getting there, like I don't even think I got a physical before my first practice, but I <laughs> I was starting to I I was catching the flu. I was I was you know. Because I was, you know, up in the air. Am I going to stay with the Pacers, Celtics? So I get there. I wasn't feeling that good. We play the Sixers in an exhibition game in the Garden. Garden's completely packed. It's an exhibition game, and both teams played their regular rotations the whole game. I mean, it was the most intense game I'd ever played in in my life up to that point. And I knew right then it was going to be a little different year than what I was used to. Wow. So it was um, it was a lot of fun. And what do you remember? I mean, obviously you guys win world championship in '86. Um, what do you remember? Just those teams, and and especially that team, who some consider one of the best basketball teams of all time. Um, what what was it like day to day in that locker room and practices and games and travel and all that stuff? Yeah, it was it was just nothing but fun. I mean, these guys were. They were so good. They were so loose. They weren't afraid. Um, you know, they weren't afraid of any team. Obviously, so <laughs> right. it was. Uh, you know, and my first meeting with Casey Jones, he told me, he goes, uh, "This is going to be a little bit different than what you're used to." He goes, "We try to win every single game. Goes, we're, <laughs> not, we're not. We're not. We're not going out there. Uh, you know, to just show up. We're 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 winning all these games. So uh, we we went forty and one at home." Uh, we lost wow. one game early in the season to Portland. I don't know how that happened, but then we won uh, our ten playoff games at home too. So wow. for the season, we were fifty and one at home. So um, you know, the there was uh, everybody knew their role. I mean, Walton came that year, and he knew he was coming off the bench. I knew I was coming off the bench. Scott Wedman was a really good, uh, really good player off the bench for him. So right. From day one, everybody knew, um, you know, there's no controversy on who's playing, what minutes, and all that stuff. So it, it just, and but we it did. There was some growing pains the first month or so of the season, especially for Waltman and I to kind of figure out, um, you know, their their offense was so much different than what either one of us was used to. That, uh, but you know, you just kind of adjust, and when you got that many guys uh, to to bail out bail you out by yeah. passing it to somebody yeah it's, uh, it's a pretty easy game at that point so was walton the the same character that we've all grown to know <laughs> yeah he was uh, a man of a lot fewer words that first year because uh, <laughs> these guys would ride him yeah. versus, like, I mean, they were they were all over him um, because you know that was mikhail and bird are my age so they yeah. you know for us i mean we just remembered him from ucla and never losing and then you know winning the championship at portland but then you know he's just so different and so californian we, we were all midwest guys uh yeah. you know it was uh it was it was pretty funny but bill was he was dead serious that whole he came there on a mission he just wanted to win another championship his kids were older and so this was what nine years after he won in Portland. Yeah. So he was just saying all year. He goes, I, "My kids are they're going to they're going to know what a championship is like." Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so did 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 Bird and Mikhail, or was it Bird, or who ran the locker room? Um, Bird for the most part, but there was a lot of talkers. You know, it was a team really. 
Bird was the captain and he was, he was the, you know, he was the leader. And I mean, he was the leader on the court. He, he didn't, he, but he didn't have to say a lot to everybody because almost all, I mean, I was actually the captain of the Pacers, Danny Ainge. He's, you know, you, yeah. you see the leadership that all these guys and what they did yeah. afterwards. And the kale was, uh, you know, he ran Minnesota for years. I yeah. mean, we had like six or seven guys that, that could have been captains of other teams and stuff. So it was mostly just a lot of trash talking. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and when, when, you know, one of the greatest things about being a Celtic is meeting all those, those former guys, you know, Casey yeah. Jones, Sam Jones, Russell, uh, Paul. So I know all those guys. And wow. When those guys are together, like they've they've had a couple of the teams come back at different times. So one year was the '66, '76, and '86 team were all back there at the same time in Boston. And so you go to a couple of dinners, or you watch them interact on a bus on the way to go watch the current team practice or something. All those teams were exactly the same, just oh, their wow. their makeup, the way they they cut up with each other, the way they, um, you know, I, I don't know. It's hard to describe unless you're you're sitting there listening to those guys. But it's they're just all cutting up and then in kind of in a fun way chopping each other down and yeah. talking crap and it's a it's a it's a it's the same attitude on all those teams. It's amazing when you have like championship teams at I guess kind of any level. Obviously, you have to have some talent, but you know the thing that I keep hearing from you though the the maturity and like if you're gonna cut you know cut up with each other and you have to be you have to have thick skin and you have to be confident in yourself and it sounds like all those guys that's exactly what they were they had confidence in themselves in each other and then obviously you play like that right and everybody knew you know when when it came push came to shove everybody had each other's back and the, and the bigger the game the more you know the more when you came in the the lock you could just you could feel the the tension and the vibe in the locker room like you know what when you're playing in those days i don't know say you're playing the nets or something well when you when you come to the game there's certain games you point to yeah yeah when you're coming to the game and it's the lakers or philadelphia in the regular season or milwaukee or whatever i mean you you but the other thing is in those days and and even now when you're playing you're you're still going to get every team's best shot you know, right. when I was with the Pacers, we beat the Celtics, uh, you know, at least one because we'd play them six times a year back yeah. then. We'd beat them once, uh, maybe twice a year at, at home. Usually we'd, we'd get them because they would come in, you know, Bird would go out with his buddies from Indiana State <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. And they just think they could show up, which they could most of the time, but, but we would get them. And so... I remember when I got traded into Portland and they had a pretty good team, you know, with Drexler, Terry Porter and all these guys. And, and I went there and they were winning 50 some games that year. And you'd, you'd go on the road, but there, you know, there wouldn't be packed. It was packed every place we played, you know, yeah. it would be a sellout every place. And, that, and that's what fires the home teams up. So we would go in and, and win these games. And um, I'm thinking, yeah, but that that's not the same team that we, that we <laughs> yeah. played. You know? right. These guys weren't even, they, they played a lot different when I was with the Celtics and then with the full crowd, it was a whole different game than what this is. Yeah. One of those games at Portland, was that the game Bird played left-handed? Uh yeah he he I forget what he seventeen or nineteen points uh, yeah when, when when I was on the Celtics but see Larry was he was ambidextrous he he wrote actually there's three guys on that team Walton Ainge and Bird all wrote left-handed no they kidding. played basketball 
right-handed. Wow. So Larry could, he could, he really could even shoot three pointers left-handed. I mean, he, he said that in practice, he did that in a game, but in practice once or twice, he'd come in, I'm just playing left-handed today. And he would do it in case he wouldn't, he wouldn't say a word to him. What's he going to say? Wow. <laughs> yeah. What's he wow. going to say? <laughs> that's, that's amazing. So, uh, obviously, no regrets um, going to Boston and, and not staying in Indiana. You were uh, part of uh, some of the best teams of all time and uh, played a couple years, three years after your time in Boston, right? Portland, Charlotte, and yeah. uh, and Milwaukee? Yeah, um, I'd gotten some injuries at that point, so I, I didn't play at the level that I did after um, 86, 87. I had an, an ankle operation, a knee operation, and my body was starting to wear down, you know, league was a little bit more physical back then than it is now and just, uh, took a lot of shots. Um, you know, it's almost like some of the games are a little bit like football, uh, but yeah, a lot, lot different. It wasn't, it wasn't spread out, you know, guys, if you watch a game on the NBA channel or some of those throwback games, uh, and see the spacing, yeah, it wasn't spaced out all over the place like it is now. Right. It's, it was more of a power game. You had to be able to get your shot off mid range. Um, you know, not near as many three point attempts, uh, guys there a lot. Most, most of the time on the possessions, all 10 guys would be inside the three point line. Yeah. It was, it was a tighter, more post-up oriented game. The, the guards, you, you're supposed to get the ball to the big guys down low first, and then maybe it got kicked out. So a lot different game. It wasn't all the pick and rolls that you see now. Yeah, you were talking about it being so physical. We always get in arguments here in the office. Um, P.J. Thompson, our uh, great player here for us, and now is on staff. And we were we always get in these debates about current players, and he, he'll bring up, you know, like a, a Curry or somebody like that. And I'll say, yeah, he would have been great in any era, but could he have played all 82 games back in the 80s? Because <laughs> because it's a whole different – you see some of those fouls in the 80s, and it was no joke. So you had to be had to be built, built a little different to survive those seasons. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot different. Yeah, the game was officiated a lot different. Two referees and, uh, you know, just uh, like I said, I mean, most – most coaches, uh, they they wouldn't let a guard take that many outside shots, you know. But you know, once once you know you got the green light, and then you you know you get a guy like Curry that's un, unworldly and is yeah. uh, shooting, he gets the confidence. Um, you know, nobody's going to tell him not to shoot now. But back yeah. in back in those days, they were they would look at him a little sideways, and, and the big guys on his team would have looked at him a little sideways. Yeah. That's what would happen. <laughs> yeah, we we want the ball down here. <laughs> so you get so. done with. Um... You get done with playing, and uh, you go into broadcasting next. Is that right? Yeah, I did radio for uh, four years in Boston, yeah. um, and uh, had fun doing that. Um, but you know, the competition wasn't there. I was looking for a couple years to. And when you say no regret, that was one thing I thought of <laughs> after my career was over. I said, "Man, if I would have if I'd have stayed with the Pacers, I wouldn't have an NBA ring. But maybe I would have been a head coach there by now, or something." Like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, you, you, you never know what's going to happen. But um, when Mikhail retired, um, he asked me to come to Minnesota to be director of scouting, yep. which eventually led me to end up being on the bench. So, um, but it, it was fun going back to Boston. I was renting my house uh, for three or four years um, that I, I hadn't sold it. So when I got offered a chance to go back there and, and um, I, I, you know, couldn't pass that up either yeah so and so then you get into the coaching side of things um so what uh 
how different was that? I mean, you spend your whole life playing the game, and now you're on the other side of it. Were there any anything aspects or anything like that that stuck out, or that you remember, like, boy, this is different now. I'm on the other side of this thing. Yeah, it was it was different, but I really enjoyed. It. I worked for uh, for a guy that was easy to work with. Flip Saunders uh, was uh, the guy. He actually Mikhail hired him as the general manager. Flip had been in the CBA for uh, quite a number of years, and he he did it all. I mean, he was the coach, but he. Um, you know, he he knew all about how to draft guys. He knew all these agents and obscure agents, you know, mm-hmm. that had guys in the CBA. So he, he had a, a wealth of information. And uh, he, he basically, um, you know, kind of took McHale by the hand uh, at the start. I mean, Kevin had the big ideas and knew what kind of team he wanted to put together. But Flip knew all the nuts and bolts on how to do that. And so uh, – we it was a bunch of fun because we were we were all in our thirties. Most of the guys around the NBA and in the media world they thought we were we were just idiots and we weren't, we weren't going to be successful at all. <laughs> so you know we we uh, we had a lot of fun uh, on a day to day basis. Uh, we worked hard, um, and then uh, this the first year we drafted Kevin Garnett. So yeah. that's uh, that was the foundation of us. Uh, you know, going to the playoffs like eight straight years at one point and having a couple pretty good teams. Yeah, great success up there and playoff teams and and uh, a great run. And you got uh, went back into the college level a little bit, spent some time at Marquette under Coach Crean, and then um, back to the T Wolves and a few more stops along the way. Um, any anything that stands out on your when your coaching career that uh, some of the high water marks, the things you enjoyed. Um. Well. The one, the two most fun years that I had, I got to admit, was uh, in 2004. Uh, we had the number one seed in the West. We we actually had the better record than the Lakers with uh, with Kobe and Shaq. And um, we we played uh, Sacramento in a seven game series in the second round. We beat them at home, and Sam Cassell wrenched his back. And, uh. Uh, that's right. So when we faced the Lakers in the next round, um, we had Fred Hoiberg playing point guard for us, who was not a point guard. Um, and we still won two games in the series. But I think, uh, you know, that was our year. Detroit ended up beating the Lakers. The Lakers were going through a lot of stuff that year. They weren't they weren't together at all. And uh, so Detroit beat them with uh, Chauncey Billups and yeah. Rip Hamilton and Rasheed Wallace and those guys. But we had beaten Detroit badly both times we played them that year. So that was that was our chance to do it and um and then the next year the next time that was just amazing fun was uh my first year out in phoenix with jeff hornacek we had a we had a team i was rebuilding jeff got the job called me up uh i had been um um where was I the year before? I was with Randy Whitman in Washington, but yeah. I had just signed a one-year contract, was kind of sitting behind the bench, helping him that year. And, and Jeff offered me a chance to be a first assistant for him. And we had this um, uh, group of guys that – Vegas had us winning 19 games, I think it was. That oh, year. wow. We were, we were supposed to be on the bottom of the Western Conference. We won 48 games. Wow. And these guys came every single day in every game and and it didn't matter who we were going to play we were playing san antonio i I mean a lot of times if you have a mediocre or a bad team you just worry about where the heads of your guys are Are they going to come and play tonight are they they 
they've lost three or four games. They're going to be defeated. These guys, they didn't care. They just came and we gave everybody. We should have made the playoffs that year. We had a couple injuries in the last two of our last three or four games. If we'd have been in the Eastern Conference, we'd have been the number three seed. That's how mm. good the West was. Yeah, yeah. Those those years, the West was just so loaded. Yeah. So we were we were good, and and it was just so much fun coaching a group of guys like that. And that's what that's what you want to, to coach a bunch of guys that just max out on what they can do. Absolutely. There's uh, one little unique uh, portion of your coaching resume, Jerry. I want to ask you about, and I don't remember when it was. That doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but maybe it was. When you stepped in at Martinsville when they needed an interim coach like midway through the season and you coached Martinsville High School, what what was that like going from professional athletes to coaching high school basketball players? It was uh, it, it was kind of fun. Um, <laughs> what what happened? I, I wasn't working that year. I had you know when you're when you're an NBA coach, you you know you go through a lot of ups and downs, and you know you're you're in a group of head coach gets fired uh so i was i wasn't coaching that year i actually spent most of the year putting together a, a pamphlet um for for my next job so i was i was doing a lot of work on that it's kind of a small little book thing on, on some of my coaching philosophies and stuff so i had, i had come back to watch purdue once or twice and i i took in a high school game or two our martinsville high school had a really good team that year and they had a bunch of seniors and late in the year, the the coach was let go for um, you know some indiscretions that he that he made, and so he get he gets fired. And I knew uh, the athletic director; I'd known him for years. I knew another guy that was uh, uh, on the school board. Uh, I think he was assistant superintendent, actually. So I just called to find out what happened and what they were going to do. And I I really wasn't even. And the one guy he goes, "We don't know." And then he asked, he goes would you i go look i'm not i'm not calling you to because i want to do it i said no no I, I go and so he goes well think about it he goes think about <laughs> it he goes, he goes we got a game friday this was like on a monday I wow think. so i talked it over with my wife and she goes, you should do it so i i called him back i said well i can be down there tomorrow um, I can get on the first thing smoking. I can make it to practice, but you know, he, he, there was a lot of things that we had to talk over that night even. And, uh, so I ended up doing it. And, you know, I just said, well, the, it, I wouldn't have done it, but I saw him play and they had all these seniors. And unlike when I played down here, uh, many, many years before this, these guys were like all honor roll student kids. I think their <laughs> grade point average was like over a 4.0, wow. which, you know, I'm thinking we were just a bunch of renegades out there. <laughs> and, and these guys are top students. I go, I, I can't let these you know, guys finish their senior year with, um, you know, without trying to help them. So came down here, we won uh, the first game, which actually I think that led them to be conference champs. And then uh, we we had we had two or three good games, and then we had two guys that one just coming back from a broken hand, and in the first game of the section, our best kind of all-round player and best defender, he broke the same bone in the same hand as the the point guard that just came back. It was it was really a weird situation. So mm. he missed the final game of the sectional, and, and we got beat. If had we won, I never did play or coach a game in Butler Fieldhouse in Hinkle Fieldhouse. So if we we'd have won that game. That was, that was the one thing I kind of wanted to do. Yeah. Just, 
yeah. selfishly for myself was to you know play a game there but these guys uh they were they were great and they uh you know so that's what that was i was uh four and one i got an 80 percent head coach record in uh, indiana high school basketball there you go <laughs> wow well jerry i could talk for hours about all this stuff your your journey is just remarkable and uh you've always been great to us um and and we have stayed in touch with you over the years. I know you have a good relationship with Coach Painter and, and our staff here. And we uh, a very valued member of the basketball family here. So uh, we well, always I'm, I'm looking I'm looking forward to this year. As everybody, yeah, so yeah, we're ex- be a lot of fun. We're ex- be a lot of fun. Yeah, we're we're excited as well. So we always wrap up these podcasts. I do four quick questions, kind of off the beaten path uh, type questions. So we'll do the final four here with Jerry Seesting. Uh, first question here on the final four is what's your what's your go-to music of choice oh wow that's a good one because this is this won't be a short answer because i like a lot of different types of music okay Uh, yeah yeah um and it's and it's kind of changed over the years so i don't know i i kind of like the you know when i was in college it's kind of the singer songwriter era of um you know like the eagles and bob Seeger. so i guess i'll kind of have to stay with those those kind of groups and uh but i i like a lot a wide range of music i like country all the way to jazz so. oh wow good good for you okay uh question two in the final four what is the a good book you've read recently or maybe your favorite book of all time um i'm a i'm a pretty avid reader um that's a good question too man you're trying to pin me down on, on <laughs> i i will i will tell you this and uh, i'll challenge anybody out there to get through it the one book that it really will leave an impact on you and it's it's torture to get through i read a uh, crime and punishment by uh Dolchevsky, the russian writer how many years ago was that now probably maybe 10 years ago, but, uh, wow. I read it from front to back. And, uh, so that was the most challenging book I read. It, it, it goes around in circles and, but it's an amazing book. I, I, I'm glad I did it. I'm going to have to ask my wife tonight if she's read that. She's read, a, she loves, uh, Russian literature. So I'll have to find out if, uh, she's read crime and punishment. That's a great answer. Okay. I'm glad you're an avid reader. Sometimes I ask that question and then I cringe and I hope, I think, boy, if this guy doesn't read, I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> No, I got a wide range. I mostly uh, that's you know that's a novel, but mostly I like reading uh, uh, nonfiction stuff. But yeah, that do you like? Uh, yeah, that's. Um, I, I go back and forth. My so my philosophy when I read is I try to mix up. If I go if I read a nonfiction, then I try to follow it up with fiction. Or if I read a sports book, I try to get off of sports and do something else. So right, right. Okay, question three here on the final four. If you could wave a wand and do any profession starting tomorrow, what would it be? Hmm. Starting tomorrow. At my age, there's not a lot left. <laughs> well, part of that magic wand, you could be, you know. We could. Okay, all right. Um, it might be a musician. I mean, like, I, I do love music, and it, it's funny. You know, I've met – I've had the fortune of uh, meeting quite a few uh you know kind of big big name type guys and and i know a lot of them you know they want to be sports guys and yeah uh, you know a lot of sports guys want to be you know of course you know half the nba is trying to be rappers uh, yeah, yeah. And, and musicians of some type and uh, so 
I don't know. I guess a great guitar player that would, that would be fun. I have no musical ability. I can't sing anything, so that that would be fun to be able to do that. See, that's a, you're the first guy that's ever that that would be my answer as well. I would uh, I play a little guitar. I play it very poorly, but I would love to be in a rock and roll band. That would be so cool. Did you now since you were around Walton? Did you ever did you ever get a chance to meet the Grateful Dead or anything? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. He, had, he had a couple oh, yeah. of them uh, come to practice. Even uh, Mickey Hart, one of the yeah. drummers, uh, and he took some of us into um, you know into the locker room before or after shows and stuff. So yeah, oh. I got introduced to that whole scene. It, it's uh, it's quite uh, it, it's quite crazy. There's a it's uh, it's a whole world into itself, and there's a lot of good people involved in it. Uh, the guy that really took care of us um you know for concerts anytime it, it, it was a guy named his nickname was ramrod and he ended <laughs> up being he ended up being he was he was actually the roadie um but he ended up being the president of the grateful dead even after jerry garcia died uh he had so much respect from all the guys in the band they they elected him president of the corporation uh, wow so. So I, yeah, I met a lot of those people. Now you just swung through uh, West Lafayette the other day, and I missed you. I was wasn't in the office that day. But next time we hook up, we we're gonna be. We may have some deep conversations here in this whole rock and roll world. So I'm looking forward to that. All right, question. Uh, final question here on the final four is: What is a little known fact or something that no one knows about you? Oh, a little known fact about me. Oh, that's a hard one. I'm try I think most people know most stuff about me. Um I don't know. Um Man, you come up with some good ones. <laughs> uh Man, I can't I can't think of something. I I don't know that I wish I was a great golfer, I guess. I play golf quite a bit these days, two or three times a week, and, I'm, you know, it kind of comes and goes. I Man, I know as soon as I hang up, I'll think of something a lot better than that. But um, um, You don't play any I, instruments, do you? No, no, no. I just I just told you I have no musical ability. <laughs> the only <laughs> thing I can play is a tambourine, probably. <laughs> so... Well, hey, I want to I want to thank you for taking time. As I said a few minutes ago, I could go another couple hours here because uh, just fascinated with uh, with your journey, and uh, you've just had some incredible experiences and stories. And and uh, I know uh, the handful of times I've talked to you in the past, I always I always learn something new about basketball, the NBA, Purdue, uh, and everything else. So uh, just appreciate you taking time today with us, Jerry. I appreciate talking to you. Yeah, I've been a very fortunate guy in my life. Uh, you know, some of the stories I just told you, I mean, it's basically been a movie. I mean, I don't know how I ended up where I ended up, but it it happened, and I'm always glad to be a Boilermaker. Wouldn't change anything about that. Well, I'm sure we'll see you, see you at some point this season. Uh, when you get back, uh, let us know, and and uh might be good to have you get in front of our team a little bit and talk about some of that uh, championship magic, too. So, Be glad to. Be glad to. Best of luck to you guys. All right. Thanks, Jerry. Really close. appreciate it. Okay. All right. See you, Rob. See you, Elliot. All right. See you, Jerry. All right. Bye. Yep. That was episode 77 here on the podcast. I want to thank Jerry for Jerry Seasting for joining us. I want to thank Rob for uh, for his time as well. Appreciate all the listeners out there. Uh, drop us a line on Twitter or uh, wherever you uh, subscribe to this podcast and let us know if you have any feedback that you want to pass along. We're always welcome welcoming that. 
episode 77 here. And until next time, be curious, be informed, and be well.